Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 38, How Daniel Handler Writes. This week's episode is really fun. I got to interview Daniel Handler, who you may also know as Lemony Snicket. Oftentimes I pinch myself when I get to ask amazing authors basically any question I want, but I'm always blown away by the generosity and openness of the show's guests. Daniel fully embodied these attributes. I so appreciate his time in sharing so much of his writing journey some of his tips, his tricks, what he thinks about, and how he writes. I want to say a special thank you to Daniel again for his time and sharing so much with me. And so now, without any further ado, here is the interview with Daniel Handler. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today is a very special day. Two reasons. The first one, I am recording the first interview for my new office in Denver after my crazy move, which feels great. And secondly, it's a crazy fun day because I am joined today by Daniel Handler. Daniel is the author of seven novels. His most recent, Bottle Grove, was published in August 2019. Daniel also is known to write for a personality called Lemony Snicket. And he is responsible for numerous books for children, including Swarm of Bees and A Series of Unfortunate Events. His books have sold more than 70 million copies, have been translated into 40 languages, and have been adapted for screen and stage, including a Netflix series for A Series of Unfortunate Events, which is such a fun TV series to watch. Daniel lives in San Francisco, with the illustrator Lisa Brown, to whom he is married and with whom he has collaborated on several books. Daniel, welcome to the show today. Thank you. A pleasure to be here. Congratulations on your new office. Thank you so much. It is, uh, you know, it's, it's surrounded by boxes. You can't see it around, but there's all these like crazy moving boxes. Feels good though. So yeah. um, how's, the, how's the altitude treating you? I feel so weird. I feel yeah. really, really weird. Yeah, I, I am. My energy is like fifty percent of what it normally is. Uh, it's not yeah. normal. Yeah, and so, alcoholic beverages are like a pitcher of alcoholic beverages. Yeah, it's like a drink, and it's like I will see you in two days, pretty much. Yeah. Every time I go to a mountainous part of the world, I forget that, and then yeah. I have like two sips of a martini, and then I'm like, I'm going to tell you something I never told a living. <laughs> Here's my secrets. <laughs> So we are, we are living in truly incredible times. Uh, I, I, I am a student of history, and I think, what in the world will we say about the world we live in now? And so we have, you know, pandemics. We have all sorts of social upheaval. We have so much going on. And a lot of times when I talk to writers, they are struggling to produce and just put words on the page with so much, with the backdrop of so much going on. And I'm wondering if you find yourself in a similar boat and you, you seem to be having trouble producing the same level of work or same type of writing as what maybe in calmer times you're able to do. Um, 
I mean, there was definitely a period when this began that um, felt so bewildering as to be impossible to think about anything else. I mean, I would really be surprised if anyone who did anything for a living um, you know, could focus on anything but what was happening. I thought that was that was kind of a crazy time. Um, but I mean, one thing that I kind of use as um, an imaginary pep talk when I'm working is thinking about all the circumstances under which people have written. Hmm. And um, I'm, you know, I'm in a very lucky circumstance to be in a pandemic, right? I'm in the first world. Um, I have a job that I work at home and um, I have a family that I love and like spending time with. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, and so I just think on the scale of not getting work done, my emergency is not very big. I don't want to downplay the emergency that we're in as a nation and as a world with this, but just in terms of how it impacts my work after a brief period of time that was super bewildering and, um, and strange, I... Um, I am working pretty steadily, I would say. And it's comforting to me. I like working. So, you know, the, I think my whole household likes working. My son likes working and my wife likes working. And I think part of our adjustment to this was figuring out, a, a primary importance was figuring out a situation by which we could work. Like, and, how are we going to do this where we can get stuff done? Yeah. And do you feel like that reframing your mind that way and being like, okay, the, um, you know, I have so much in front of me. Let, let me rephrase this. It, what, was, it, was it looking at what was in front of you instead of maybe what had been taken away that allowed you to get into a space where you could create again? Because I feel like the creative muscle really quickly gets exhausted under anxiety and stress and, you know, these, these crazy things bombarding it. And so I'm wondering what like, you know, breathed life back into that muscle for you. Well, I always think what breathes life into the um, writing muscle is writing. Mm. And so, and it took me a while to learn that. And so when I'm not feeling inspired, it's a great time to make myself write. Mm. And um, it won't be good, mm. but it will maybe grasp some hem of something better. So, I mean, there's a um, songwriter I work with a lot, Stephen Merritt of the Magnetic Fields. And he and I were working on this project once and it was when we were both living in New York and he liked to work at this diner, this horrendous diner. And we would meet there all day long. He would drink this like super strong black tea. And so I would drink it with him. We'd both get totally hopped up. We'd order, I was trying to find the one good thing on the menu and there wasn't anything, everything was horrible. And one day we were just having one of those days working and nothing was going right between the horrible food and getting hopped up and then whatever else was distracting Everything was terrible. We tried a bunch of stuff. It wasn't working. And then at the very end of the day, we came up with like a very tiny thing that we were going to try to do the next day that might be better. So we didn't even know if it was better, but we just knew it wasn't yet proven to be terrible. And as we stood up to leave, he said, this was a really good day. I'm really glad we did this. And I was so cranky and I, I couldn't imagine what it was. And he wasn't being um, optimistic because anyone who listens to the music or interviews with Mr. Barrett will know that he is not an optimistic person. But he just, he was used to the fact that the creative process, so much of it is hitting your head against a wall. 
And so it's important to keep doing that because you, I think the more you work, the more inspiration you will find. So, yeah. um, and it's counterintuitive because you think, I'll wait till I get a great idea and then I'll work. But actually, if you just keep working, you will get a good idea. Yeah, it's so, it, it's so interesting yeah. and timely that you say that. Like just this morning, um, I was working on a manuscript and I think for the, I, I, I really think it's the 20th time I changed the starting point and it keeps getting further and further and further. You know, I keep cutting more and more. And I just thought like, how do I do this again and not look at it like I've wasted so much time? But the way you frame that makes it seem like it's almost part of the process. Like that banging your head against the wall over and over Absolutely. again is, is, yeah. is what it takes. Yeah. How, how did yeah. you learn that? It's like, like, like the part of any process, you know, I mean, it reminds yeah. me, I mean, when you're consumed by a book, it's some, some of it is so much like a relationship, right? And when you are in a relationship with a person, it's built out of all these tiny mundane moments. You know, you can't say like, I only want to do the parts where we're like laughing in Paris <laughs> and like rolling around in a field. It's like, no, there's the like, whose turn is it to buy yogurt? Please go buy yogurt. There's that yeah. part of the relationship that, it, that all the trust and, um, joy are built from so that when you're rolling around in a field, you're actually having a better time. And I think it's, it's so essential that frustration and dead endedness are understood to be part of the process. They're not straying from the path. They are part of what you were doing. So do you, do you look at those dead ends? Do you look at that as being like, this is iterative, it's additive, or it's just a direction I went that doesn't, that didn't pan out that I'm now going to go in a different direction. I mean, you just don't know what it is. I don't know. That's kind of a, it's a vague question, I guess, but I just, I believe in working. And so um, if I write three pages and I know that they're terrible, maybe there's a turn of phrase in there that will get me to start the next three pages. But maybe it's nothing, but maybe it's just like when you clean out your cupboard and then that part of the cupboard is gone and then mm -hmm. you have a better cupboard to put things in. Yeah. yeah. And so you can't always tell what it is in the same way that you can't tell where inspiration comes from, right? Yeah. I mean, so much of inspiration, when you decide you're going to look for inspiration, you find it in the wrong place, right? You say like, I'm going to climb this mountain and the view is going to inspire me. And the map is like a sweaty climb and you're cranky. <laughs> your sandwich is awful and you're having a bad time. And then you get back into the car and like, as you shut the door, something occurs to you. Yeah. And that's the power. And I think that's the same with working. It's like, you're just struggling around hacking at stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a, um, there's like an irony in, in that, that like the more you look for something or the more you might try to push towards an outcome, the more, um, the more elusive it actually becomes in a way. Yeah. I mean, you just can't, um, you can't force things, but you can develop habits, right? So you can't yeah. say today is the day that I'm going to write really well, but you can write every day. And then one of those days will write really well. I love that. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yes. So, so here you are, um, you know, you have had this wildly successful literary career. You've published these beautiful books. They've been, you know, seen by bazillions of people and read by bazillions of people. Um, and I, I'm wondering, was there ever a moment for you before, 
before all of this, <laughs> was there ever a moment that, that you looked at yourself in, a, in the mirror and thought, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't keep up this writing game. I can't keep banging my head against the wall or maybe this isn't for me. Was there ever a point you just said, I'm done? Yeah, all the time. I mean, there's still that point. <laughs> You're uh, like, this morning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's no artist I have ever heard of who I admire who has never faltered in that feeling. Um, and certainly starting out was one kind of rough, but um, there's all kinds of rough in terms of the creative process. Yeah. And um, it's been certainly a blessing and a joy to um, have my books spread farther than I ever thought would happen, but it doesn't really, um, it doesn't buy me any, uh, I, I don't know, it doesn't buy off any insecurity kind of, yeah. or, or sense of failure. Um, because if you're not working well, or you feel like you're working on something that isn't going well, that's just a horrible feeling. And it's not, um, it won't make you feel better that other people like something else you did. That doesn't really. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to hear, right? It's, it's good to hear because I think, you know, for a lot of people who listen to the podcast, they would look at someone who, you know, has been published and read as widely as you have and think, well, if I were, you know, Daniel, I might feel different about today's work. And it doesn't sound like, it, it sounds like the, what you're saying is that the, um, the everyday, I don't want to say struggle because I think writing is a beautiful thing, but struggle of <laughs> writing and being creative doesn't dissipate when you've sold a certain number of books or been published a certain number of time or reached some certain literary level. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess it depends on your brain, but um, the part of your brain that, um, that is self-sabotaging can always find an angle. Yeah. Right? And yeah, so there's totally. no, you can't stave that off. <laughs> and oh, so totally. that's just got to be part of it too. But yeah, it's certainly, um, there's, um, I mean, I think particularly when you're starting out and you're learning how to be a writer, um, I think you often have this struggle where you need to kind of believe in yourself enough to keep doing it, but that also you're not as good as you want to be. Yeah. You know you're not. Yeah. And so when you have the, when you're tempted to believe that the reason you're not successful is because you do not deserve to be successful, you know, when you think yeah. this book isn't as good as I want it to be and no one wants it, but you think like, well, they don't want it because it's not good enough. And that's just a horrible feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a certain pain to, um, and I have a story about this. It has to do with you is a certain pain um, in reading a work and realizing it's so good and you're so far from producing work like that. But being able to tell the gap, like knowing the gap, I feel like is the, the painful part. Because if you didn't know there was a gap, you'd be like, oh, this is great and I can do this and maybe you wouldn't feel the same emotional turmoil. But I distinctly remember um, many years ago, that I, I think right when All the Dirty Parts came out, I picked it up. And I read it and I, I think I read through it in a single sitting, if not two, like I just, I absolutely devoured the book, both from the form was so interesting, but 
Um, I was writing about, I had my own different project I was working on that was kind of in the same vein. And so I was just, it just was so timely for me. I destroyed it and I put the book down and I had one of those like, I'm going to quit writing because I'll never write that. I'll never write something like this in my life and somehow push through it. Um, so it's, it's interesting the topic, I wasn't going to bring that up, but it's interesting the topic came up because I was like, oh. No, I like hearing that. Yeah. I felt this. <laughs> no, because I know that feeling. Yeah. And it, really, it is a compliment. You were paying me a compliment, but I, I really like the shape of it. Instead yeah. of saying, your work inspired you, say, my work made me want to drink myself into a seat yeah. and want to write again. It's like, that is a compliment, actually. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it's so, it was so good that I almost thought I can't ever do this. Uh, <laughs> what, <It's not> yeah, <laughs> I, I love, I, I loved it. So, so in your early journey, you've kind of talked on this a couple of times. You touched on this, that especially when you're starting out this game and, and the writing world can be really challenging. Like what were some of the challenges as you were kicking off your writing journey that you butted up against that you had to overcome? Um, well, a big one for me was that I didn't know anybody who was doing it. Hmm. And um, I went to a, you know, a pretty fancy pants university where kind of everybody wanted to be a writer. And then I graduated and within a couple of years, um, I, m- kind of, I assumed I was kind of in this large company. You know, I used to think it's crazy, but 50 people who went to school with me at the exact same time were all going to be writers. What are they <laughs> and that isn't how it panned out um, for, you know, 48 of them or so. Right. And um, I, and so that was really um, lonely because um, you don't necessarily need to hang out with writers all the time, but I think particularly when you're starting out, there's just a certain kind of shop talk mm-hmm. that can be really helpful to you. And um, this will make me sound even older than I am, but you know, the internet was a baby when I was starting out. So if, you know, there were books that people had written on writing and things like that, there, but there wasn't, you couldn't just open your screen and have access to a million people who were doing that. Right. right. That you have now. And um there weren't little places where you could maybe place, you know, where you could get published online or certainly that wasn't happening. So there was no kind of encouragement. And that I think was a really tough part for me. All my friends had jobs and various of them were doing even creative stuff that they wanted to do. Um, that was not um, taking hold within capitalism yet, but, um, but I just didn't know anybody who worked really hard on a paragraph. And right. um, that felt really lonely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you know, if you went out for a drink with someone and you said like, I banged my head on this novel all day and I didn't get any further really. Like I wrote two pages, but they were horrible. So I deleted it. I deleted it all. Yeah. And the kind of the older I got and the more conversations I had that were people who didn't understand that, not only would they be like, man, that sounds rough, but I don't have any advice, but they would kind of be like, yeah, you've been saying this a while. (laughs) (laughs) What's your game here? Playing. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, it's horrible. And I think um, when you work at anything and you don't have um, kind of visibility or success in it, you have this feeling that you're kind of digging a hole of lost time. Yeah. Right? Like, I've been right. doing this for a year, 
So if it buys me a career, that's worth it. But if it doesn't do anything, now I've dug a year, like now I've dug another year. There's another year in this hole. And that's not a nice feeling. Yeah. I I was just listening to um, a book on changing habits, totally separate topic, but it was talking about how um, one of the hardest parts of accomplishing like a habit change is that, you know, let's say you, you know, you're practicing for 90 days and nothing changes but then there's exponential change on the 91st day. And for whatever reason, it seems like it just kind of drags and drags and drags, but then the habit clicks into place and then all of a sudden it feels very routine and normal. It's just that it's so hard to make it 90 days with no progress. It's so hard to keep pushing through for so long. You know, it's like when you first start working out and you're like, I've been working out hard and I look exactly the same and I'm not eating and I'm not having ice cream. This isn't very fun, I'm gonna quit, right? Um, and so as a writer, like what are the ways in which you found a way on day 89 to say, I'm going to keep going to day 90, where did that enthusiasm and motivation and gumption in a certain degree come from to keep pushing forward, keep going forward? Well, I mean, most of it is the joy that I take actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I had a really great, um, mentor in college. Uh, she died a couple of years ago and I really miss her. Her name's Kit Reed. And um, she was a writer, a great writer. And, um, and she, she taught a writing class where basically you met with her individually. You had to write 10 pages a week. And then she, you met with her individually in her kitchen and she told you what was wrong with them. Mm. And um, so I, I took that class with her and then I worked kind of more with her. And then I was getting ready to leave college. And I said, I need you to tell me whether I'm good enough to do this. Mm. And she said, it doesn't work that way. And she said, what you have to do is you have to figure out whether you like it or not. Like whether this is really what you want to do, if you're going to like doing it all day long. And because she said, that's the, that's the primary reward of being a writer. And it's like, even if you're a highly celebrated writer, there's not a parade for you every day. It's like, you got to write. And there's no shortcut to it. You've got to keep doing the, that thing. And if you don't like doing it, you're going to have a horrible time. Right. <laughs> and I was so mad at her when she told me that. You know, I was like, just tell me what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't want to like, hear this crap. And, um, but she was right, of course. And that, I mean, it's still the, the favorite part of my day mm-hmm. is when I get to do it. And um, I'm, uh, so I'm actually borrowing a friend's uh, like getaway cabin Um, in a few days. I'm gonna be by myself there working on this book and I can't wait. Mm. You know, I'm so excited to do it. And it feels like I'm seven and my birthday party is coming up or something. (laughs) And, um, And I think particularly when I was starting out because so many of the trappings of my life otherwise were the life of a young artist who has not found any financial success. And so mm-hmm. then it was even more the most exciting part of my day because the rest of my day was like a horrible office job right. or hanging out with other kind of frustrated, competitive people for whom it wasn't working out and like trying not to panic about the rent, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, so so the joy of actually doing it is really, um, I mean, still what gets me over any 
thing about it. Yeah. It's just to be like, even if this is horrible, like I am having, this is fun right now. Like I right. like what I'm doing right now. Is, is there a degree of that that's rooted in ensuring you're writing and working on projects that you take joy in? And the reason I ask that is sometimes I talk to writers who feel as if they need to write a certain genre or style or something, something, something. And maybe they don't love the work that they're actually working on. And I'm wondering if you've, you've felt that. Well, I mean, that's where I'm really, really lucky. I mean, I think that's the, um, that's the real joy of having made a nice living on mm -hmm. writing mm -hmm. is that I don't have to take a ghost writing job you know, helping some CEO write a memoir or something, other jobs that I know people have taken. Um, I don't um, spend, you know, some huge chunk of time as part of a writing room or pitching freelance pieces or kind of all the different ways that people do writing that is not the writing that burns kind of within them as mm -hmm. they want to do, but just kind of the writing that pays the rent. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's really where I... I'm super lucky right. is that I can say, I am going to work on this book that the Museum of Modern Art has agreed to publish that like my friend Myra is doing paintings for and we're going to say kooky things about photographs and like no one really is going to think this is a fantastic book, but like we are having a blast <laughs> and we're not making any money, but we can afford not to make any money. Right. And we can have all this joy in that process. Like that part is really, really great. That's amazing. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you come in, like you're going to this cabin um, for a period of isolated writing time. Mm -hmm. When you are coming into a writing period, whether it's like just a normal day of writing or, you know, an extended writing session that you have, do you have a set of rituals or a set of like routine that you kind of get yourself into before you start writing and getting yourself into that like creative space? Um. I don't. I, I, in fact, really try to believe in my own portability in many mm -hmm. different ways. And so there's things I certainly like, you know, and um, I, when I'm there at the place, I'm going to be getting up early. I'm going to be getting up like when the sun is coming up and mm -hmm. I'm going to take a walk and I'm going to have some coffee and like, I'm going to put some music on and things like that. But um I try not to make it where anything is essential. You know, I don't want yeah. to be, if yeah. you read about like professional poker yeah. players where like I have a squirrel over here and I have to <laughs> squeeze it three times and I, you know, I'm worried about all, anything like that. And um, under uh, normal circumstances, I work a lot in cafes and libraries. And so I'm, you know, I'll, I'll throw some stuff into a bag and I'll walk someplace. And um, I really, try like I I always want to be flexible enough that I can still do it so if I open my bag and I'm like oh I can't believe I didn't bring you know like I printed right. out the 50 pages but they're in the printer or like I said I was gonna look at this book or like I have these notes that I want to do and I just have to say like remember books have been written in prison right books have been written without any of the trappings that we are lucky enough to have and so I just try to do it so you know, there's like things I like to snack on and, um, you know, things I like to listen to and things like that. But I, um, I write longhand. Um, and so I have no, um, internet at me, um, or oh. other 
inspections that a laptop. You're not has. you're not connected when you're when you're composing. You're just disconnected. Yeah, I mean, I try not to be. Eventually, yeah. I have to type it in and blah blah blah. But um, but yeah, there's something. I mean, a table that has nothing but paper and pens and like a glass of water and yeah. maybe a couple of notes or something that you have no excuse not to get anything done. Yeah. You just had a big smile come across your face and as you said. I could, I can see that's a really special. I could, I, as soon as you said it, I could, I could see it's a really special visual yeah. for you to have that table with the, the pens and paper. I, I actually personally, I'm starting to um, pivot into that. Like I, you know, I, I came of age. Um, I'm 35, right? So I came of age when uh, computers were just starting to pick up. But for my writing life, I've, I've only written on a computer, and I'm finding being connected while there's some benefits are some really serious drawbacks as well. And I'm starting to go back into writing freehand as well, just because the freedom that it feels like that it brings to just be like, I sit down with a notebook and a pen that I like, and that's it. You know what I mean? There's, there's, there's nothing else there, but the page in me, there's something yeah, really liberating about that. Yeah. I think it's a really yeah. great feeling. I, yeah. I recommend a lot of people to write longhand. Um, yeah. You, I mean, it, you can, if you cross something out, it's still kind of there. So you can go back to it if you don't want to right. cross it afterwards. If you, you can kind of skip ahead and say, okay, I made a mess of this paragraph. I'm turning the page. I'm starting over on this paragraph, but I have everything back there. If I need to look yeah. at it, but it's over here. There's all this stuff that you can do that I find is just really liberating about it. And I try to, I mean, I write on, like crappy legal pads. I try to have it be as glamorous <laughs> as possible. Yeah. People give me those fancy notebooks that are like leathery or have a special thing. And then I feel like, well, now I got to really write a good right. sentence on this. Right. But it's like a crappy paper. I'm like, whatever. Right, right, whatever you want. <laughs> there, there, there's the added benefit too, if you write it by, if you compose by freehand, that when you go to, to put it into a computer, eventually you get like a double draft because then you're doing a little bit of editing as you're typing For it. Sure. Yeah. Right? And so you kind of get a two for one a little bit. Yeah. And you don't know how long anything is, you know, because you're crossing out so much and you're skipping right. ahead that you can write 10 pages on your legal pad and you have no idea how much you have. And that's kind of a nice thing to think, is this scene as long as I want it? Is this description paced the way I want it? And you don't get to say, oh, look, it's two paragraphs. You get right. to just say, let's be in the moment here and how long is it? Yeah, because I there's love no that. magic length for any of those things, right? There's right. no law about how long a description has to be it's just as much as you think it yeah fits. does it does it work yeah. yeah so um i am always really fascinated by the authors that i interview who have um two different personas and pen names that they write under and i'm always interested in uh how you slip into one writer or the other or if or if it's just so fluid that you could be writing you know one thing is daniel and then flip over and you know write a completely different style of book like how does that work for you um it's pretty smooth i mean it always sounds like i'm kind of nitpicking here but to me lemony snicket has never been a pen name that i've used it's always been the name of a specific character and narrator you know, okay. and so it's kind yeah, of, yeah. or a mystery writer, and I had some detective, and then I'm using that detective for a bunch of books, but then there's other things where that, the detective, it's not for that detective, and so that's how it feels for me. I've never written a book that I thought was by one 
that would be published under one name and turned out to be under another or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Do, um, do you feel like you slip, like, like do you, when, when you're writing a book as Lemony Snicket, let's just say, do you feel as if you are thinking in that, in that character's way? It's not a pen name. It's like a real character. Are you thinking as that character? Are you feeling as that character? Do you see the world as that character? Yeah. I mean, I hope I do it yeah. for all of them, you know, and it's, I mean, I, I obviously the voice of Lemony Snicket is much more visible than the voices of so many other people that I've written in. And that's um, an honor in terms of how that goes in the culture and in people's minds. But, um, you know, when I was writing Cole and all the dirty parts, I wanted to be right there. I didn't, I wanted to feel that the distance between what I was writing and what he would write if he was a writer was exactly the same. And um, it can take a while to kind of find that rhythm and then you want to stay in it. And then if you lose it, you can yeah. getting back. But, um, but I, I mean, who's telling the story and what the voice is is so important in literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, um, I mean, people have said to me before, you know, was there anything you wanted to put in a Lemony Snicket book that was like too dark for children or, you know? And the answer is always no, because it didn't, those things didn't belong in the story. Yeah. You know? And it deals with, I mean, it, it, it deals with um, serious top. I mean, it's, it's not a rosy children's book. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. deals with serious topics in the book. Right. Yeah. But even the just, books. you know, even kind of no one has a cell phone in a series of unfortunate events. And that isn't, yeah. isn't decided that there wouldn't be it's just, it's just that it didn't fit there in the story and um i think that i to try to keep in mind who is telling the story is always important to me and so when i'm starting a novel and i start to think like who is I mean, whose voice is this who is what point of view is this what do they know this and not this what do they know and then you start to kind of build that from Amen. there and hopefully stay in it it, it sounds as if to me you try and get as close, almost like embody the narrator of the book as you can. Um, and not just right from their perspective, but to kind of transpose yourself in a way with the narrator or, or vice versa, however that would work. And I'm, I'm like, do you have a way in which you do that? Like, how do you get to know the narrator so intimately that then you can write from their voice in that way? Um, I mean, I guess I just keep writing. I don't really, I, I feel this is my answer to every question you've asked me. So (laughs) (laughs) So I'm trying to make the podcast not 20 seconds long, but, um, I think when you hear someone tell a story, you know, when you go out with a friend and they tell you something that happened to them 10 years ago or something that happened to them that day, um, the metaphors they reach for, the facts that they know, the something that they're referring to because they know who you are and they're doing it, all those things are kind of orbiting around the actual text of the story that they're telling. And the more you have that with a narrator, um, the better it is. And I think there's, you read a lot of bad writing where no one's done very much thought about who the voice is. And so the voice feels inauthentic in some way, which sometimes is, you know, even offensive or sometimes it's just ill fitting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, you just want to inhabit what that is. You want to be able to reach for the same stuff that someone telling the story would reach for. And I know some writers make big character books or things like that. And 
I don't do anything like that, but I just take a lot of notes. Um, I always have a notebook with me. Um, and I, when I'm starting a book, generally all my notes are on little index cards and I'm moving around and suddenly, you know, one tiny habit that I saw at a bus stop for somebody um, makes, a makes a certain kind of sense for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's almost as if, um, yeah, I, I always find those details really interesting or like something you might've seen a thousand times doesn't stick out. And then when there's a gap in the story, you see the thing for a thousand and first time and it means something different. And I, I'm always interested in that and where that comes from. And, you know, is the story speaking to you? Like I can get really metaphysical on, <laughs> on that, on that plane about like where that stuff comes from. But, uh, yeah. It's yeah. Well, I mean, it's the, it's kind of the, it's the opposite side of the mirror of what happens to you when you're, when you're a reader, right? So if you grab a book and you're fascinated by it, you know, whether maybe you come to the end of a chapter or maybe you're distracted by a noise and you suddenly kind of pop out of the book that you're reading, right? And you're suddenly not wherever the book takes place. You're not with whoever's in the book. You're back in your own stupid chair with your, you know, <laughs> your coffee got cold or whatever. Yeah. You, you know, you've returned to that and it's really mysterious. Where did you go? Well, anyone watching you would say you went nowhere. Right, but how do what what space is that occupying when you're reading and when you're adding to it, right? And everyone knows that your own context has such an effect on what you're reading. You know, people say it all the time. Oh, I love this book, but maybe it's just because, and then they say something like, "Because this, you know, something happened. The book happened to me, or yeah. I was on such a wonderful vacation. The book was better than I think it really is." Or you know, they say all this stuff, and you. Somehow the dance between the words on the page and who you are as a person is creating this space. And so then meanwhile, on the other side of the mirror is the writer, and it's the same thing. Hmm. Right? When you're really, really going, you kind of wake up and you've written a couple of pages, and you think, well, how did that happen? You know, how can I want, I want to get back there, and you can't get back there. You, you, yeah. you try, of course, it doesn't work. You go back and you need to fix some things. Sometimes you write something and it just feels like genius from start to finish, and the next day, you know, it's like literally nonsense. <laughs> and I mean, that's what's so, I think it's so fascinating about literature is that on one hand, um, everything that you should know about it is so easy to trace. It is right there on the page. Yeah. And on the other hand, there's some other ghostly thing that is happening around literature. Oh, I love that. It's hard to trace. Oh, yeah. I love that. I've never heard it explained that way. And you saying that, it's like making my head go in like a million different directions. While you're saying that, I had this question that like, do you have an opinion on, you said you're going there or you go somewhere else. And I'm wondering if you have an opinion on where there is, like where, where, where do you, where, where does the writer go in those moments? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think that there's, you know, I don't know. I mean, consciousness is really a mystery. Right. And, um, it's, I mean, I think the words that we have for it are very crude, mm -hmm. you know? And so when we say go someplace, that's kind of the best metaphor we can come up with to talk about who we are, but we don't, I mean, we don't really know what that is. Yeah. Gosh, that's so true. Oh, that's so true. Um, so I am looking at the time and I'm like, holy <laughs> smokes, like blank. Yeah. I could like talk to you about writing all day. 
Um, and I have so thoroughly enjoyed, like, I feel like there's so many things you've brought up that have just like kind of made my mind, like, it's like pulsing. Um, so what I want to do though, as we're kind of starting to round, round out our time for this interview mm-hmm. is ask you the final four questions. So these final four questions are the same exact questions that I ask to every single guest of the podcast. And if for whatever reason, uh, you are, um, listening to this for the, this podcast for the first time, I ask these same four questions just because I love to showcase the diversity of thought and the answers of all the different authors that I've been able to interview. And so, uh, I'm going to ask you those final four questions now, and, uh, I look forward to these wonderful answers. So question number one is if you had to pick a spirit book, so this is a book that if you were to die and be reincarnated as a book, the, 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 the book most closely resembles who you are or, or, or aspirationally who you would like to be. What book would that be? Questions ahead of time. And this was the toughest for me. And I <laughs> that whenever I'm asked a hypothetical uh, question, I just get super literalist in my brain. You know, like I am yeah. reincarnated as a book. Correct. Like it's you went there. The trace. No, Daniel, you went there. You know, we were just talking about there. You went there, and yeah. there sent you back as a book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm changing my answer now at the last minute, but <laughs> but I think. I would have to say Harriet the Spy. Mm. I think that would probably be the book. No, I'm going to change it again. I'm going to say The Long Secret, which is this other book by Louise uh, Fitzhugh, author of Harriet the Spy. Uh, I think it's a better book. Um, but also it is um, a book about um, how the ways in which you are a writer kind of before you are a writer. And that's something that I think about a lot as I write for children is that um, only when you get to be a um, grown up and you've decided you're going to be a writer, do you start actually doing the things of being a writer? You might write some stories when you're a kid, but it's not normally what you're doing. What you're doing is you're reading a lot. And you're kind of thinking about it, right? You're kind of making up a story in your head yeah. in which you're the hero of something. And Long Secret is about that. It's a beautiful book. Um, oh, that's beautiful. So, I'm definitely going to buy that book now on your recommendation. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay, question number two. Yes. Is there, we already talked about this, but now, now you got to answer it again. Is there a specific tool? can be anything at all, pencil, software, chair, coffee, cigarettes, wine, anything that you absolutely must have to write? Um, there isn't really, but I do love a legal pad. Hmm. There's something about the size of a... Um, Nice 14 incher, as we call it. <laughs> Legal pad that feels really good. I like it. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, question number three. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? Um, I keep writing. I'm actually curious. I'm going to go and listen to more episodes of this podcast, but I'm curious because my answer to the third and fourth question are the same thing. And I wonder... If anyone else has the identical answer to the third and fourth question. Not that it, not I that I can remember. That I keep writing. That is how I deal with it. Yeah. Not, not that I can, not, I can't remember a back to back answer 
Right. That's the same thing. We gotta get a spreadsheet going. That's what we gotta get going. I know. Now I gotta go like do an analysis. <laughs> what are the answers? Um, I actually do have all of these just because I'm I'm curious to see how they all pan out. So I actually have all. Uh, this is like a forty something interview I've done. I think I have them all and all the answers, which is interesting. That's great. Anyways, um, so the last then the last question is: if you give one piece of advice to new writers, what would it be? That would be keep writing. It would be to keep doing it. Yeah. 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 I think one of the temptations that can take you away from writing when you're starting out is all the kind of romantic trappings of being a writer, um, which include treating people insufferably. Some people <laughs> do that when they're starting out as a writer. Don't do that. You know, don't like uh, drink too much. Um, but also um, don't take too much time um, buying yourself a new notebook and um, closing your eyes and leaning against a tree and reciting a poem to yourself when you know you should be writing. Yeah. You know, you can really get distracted by deciding that you're gonna be part of a magic um, movie in which you are the star. <laughs> and, uh, that is about a writer. Um, and really you have to keep writing. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's something in there about not confusing activity for progress. And you know, the progress is writing. You know, activity is all yeah. the other things we convince ourselves we need to do before we write. And that's really the only thing that all writers have in common. <laughs> is, is confusing you those know, two points? No, is writing. Right. right. <laughs> you know, that is the, it's right. literally the only thing. Right. And so um, when you are um, writing, I think particularly when you're writing fiction or when you're writing something that is... Um, kind of moving past textbook or journalism into literature, you are joining a tradition of people who have done all kinds of things, who have all kinds of methods and strategies and habits, and, um, but they all have written. There are no writers who didn't, who didn't do any writing. Mm. They all did some. Mm. Maybe some did too many and some did not. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What a wonderful way to, to wrap this up. Daniel, Thank you so much for your time. This was so much fun. Have um, a wonderful you. time in your cabin. Thank you. I will. Disappearing. And I appreciate it so much. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you again to Daniel for his time. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes right now. Go. And give us a rating and a review. As of this recording, I have 97 ratings. And I don't know why. I just want to get to 100. So please volunteer your name. Tell us how we're doing. That would mean so much to me. Also, check us out on Instagram and Facebook. I post all sorts of content and writing motivation there. I'd love to interact with you in real time. Last, thank you so much, dear listener, for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.